Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. I'm a certified sex educator, but we're going to talk about stripper stuff today. This is the stripping and sexuality episode. Our guest is Lila Feinstein. You can find her website, astrippersguide.com. I only found Lila online probably about a year and a year and a half ago, so I'm excited to get to know her more. So hello, Lila. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Good. I'm so glad to talk to you. And my audience knows I love talking to other people in the industry. It's always like a little extra fun. So who are you and what do you spend a lot of your time doing? I love that question. I love the way you phrase that because it's so much better than when I'm at the strip club every night. Like, so what do you do? What Just do you trying do? to get people's jobs. Like, really, what's your income, man? Um, <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I am a chick from Boston who lives in New York. Um, mm. I've been a stripper for, it's about to be my nine-year anniversary this summer. Mm. Um I'm a musician, I'm a homemaker, I'm a cat mom, I am um, tired a lot of the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I spend, I spend a lot of my time doing what I love, which is so wonderful and rare in this capitalist society, but I'm really lucky that I have this job that kind of lets me work at my own pace to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. um, and so I spend, when I'm not working, uh, I spend a lot of time, like, yeah, homemaking. It's a full-time job <laughs> and I don't even have kids yet. So, <laughs> um, but mm -hmm. luckily I love it. And like my home really is like part of my self-care and creativity and love and like having a having a home environment that kind of like reflects my reflects my essence back to me is really important to me. Um, mm -hmm. And practicing, I, you know, I write, make music, I make poetry in my home and I run a stripper's guide for my home, which is my multimedia support platform for sex workers and femmes. Um, so I, I spend a good deal of my time, you know, thinking about and acting on my urges to do what I can to burn this patriarchy to the ground. <laughs> yeah. So your, your home is your sanctuary, but it's also a workspace, mm -hmm. multi-purpose space for sure. So what does your daily life look like? I asked you before we started recording if uh, you're still currently stripping and uh, you said yes and... So do you work night shift, day shift, mid shift, any shift? Yeah, I'm, I'm a night shift gal. I, uh... <laughs> I could actually tell, but I figured I'd ask. <laughs> I'm, um, yeah, that's just, uh, works better for my, my sleeping ways. I'm, I'm more of a, more of a night owl. I'm, um, I'm also hella neurodivergent. And so I'm just rhythmically, like it takes me a lot to get kind of momentum in my day. I usually spend the first part of my day um, tending to my home, tending to my myself, you know, maybe doing some like magic spells or writing poetry or just cleaning. I'm a Virgo. I love to clean. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, do you ever just feel like you need to clean your home before it's okay to start working? <laughs> yeah, I totally do. Yeah. It's really important to me. It's really important to me. Like, I can't, I cleaned my, I cleaned my studio before this podcast recording. <laughs> Hell yeah. Get that fresh energy. Yeah. I'm yeah. a Virgo too. That's funny. Oh my God. Yeah. When's your birthday? Uh, the 8th of September. Mine too. No. Yeah. September oh. 1988. Oh my God. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. That's so we definitely have some things in common. Yeah. Such as being the best. <laughs> such as being... <laughs> Really industrious. You know what I've noticed is we both seem to just want to make the industry better. Yeah. Like there's definitely like an aspect of like making money, but you and I also, it seems a little holistic. Like we want to have better relationships and yeah. harm reduction in work. Absolutely. Yes. Right. And we'll yeah. talk about that too, I think, a little later. Yeah. So nine years uh boston girl in new york i am a west coast person i don't know mm -hmm. anything about the east coast stripper scene like anything i only know what i hear so 
for you culturally, because I, you know, right here, I'm in like the strip club capital of the U.S. What do assumptions to people tend to make about you when you disclose your work or what is it like over there talking about the work? So it's it's interesting. Like I'm in such a queer world in my personal life. Um, And so like in my social life and in my social scenes, they tend to be very queer heavy, very femme heavy. Um, and these days, like very sex worker heavy because I'm intentionally trying to like create spaces for sex workers and queer folks. And so like, I spend a lot of my time in the spaces that I'm trying to create. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like the reactions that I get from, from people are kind of like, I, fortunately, I don't tend to have the experience of getting like really directly negative reactions very often because I just happen to not, I think, have a life that includes a lot of people who Mm. would be like shocked or disgusted by Mm. the fact that I'm a sex worker. Mm. Um, And like, even in my dating life, like back when I was single, like, or the times I've been single, like while I've been in the industry, that's like right away something that I talk about with potential partners just so that if anybody has an issue with it, like they're, mm-hmm. they're weeded out quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to downplay the fact that many sex workers get extremely negative reactions a lot of the time. Um, and I think that I'm kind of having a bit of an anomaly experience, but mm-hmm. um the reactions I get are mostly divided into the category of like either from customers or from people in my personal life mm. and from customers, you know, when they find out that I'm a stripper, which they find out because they're there in my place of work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I get like this really interesting, which I know a lot of dancers and sex workers can relate. Like I get this like really interesting range of reactions that are like almost in a way very, um, like I think I heard Jack the Stripper describe it once less as patronizing more as like paternal but I knew you were gonna say that paternalistic (laughs) I knew you were gonna say that yeah we're like curious but concerned and maybe like a little unintentionally condescending like yeah well what are you gonna do after this yeah I swear people ask me that at least once a shift right like what is your what's the end goal what's your game plan and which is like none of your fucking business man like uh, who are you even like do you ask that to your barista like it's just such a like (laughs) if you're paying me really well then sure I'll like make up some story for you but like Mm -hmm. the end goal is like the fall of capitalism we can't really talk about that here because (laughs) I want your money so (laughs) I like to 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 tell them I usually like I'm like oh I'll be fine. I've got a few different things. What's your end plan? And then a lot of times they're like, half the time they're like, oh, I don't know. And it's like, exactly. Worry about your damn self. Yeah. Worry about yourself. Like, but then the other set of reactions that I get, um, which I know we're going to get more into today, but Mm -hmm. uh, what never ceases to annoy me (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, are these well-meaning reactions from fellow queer folks, fellow women, fellow femmes who are trying to show solidarity, but I end up feeling really patronized by these reactions that are like, oh my God, like you must feel so empowered or like automatically assuming that I, oftentimes I get super sexual questions in response. Like Mm. people asking me about my sex life. I often get from other um, like people in the lesbian community, uh, I often get, and I'm a femme. So Mm -hmm. I've, I've gotten this question from uh, a lot of like masculine of center lesbians Mm -hmm. around like, how can I, if I'm gay, if I'm queer, like, how can I live with myself basically? Like, how can I, how can I live (gasps) with doing this for men? Right. Yeah. Um, And that's a weird one. Yeah, it is a weird one. It's not for them. It's for you to survive. Right. It's for my bank account. Like I, so I like, you know, if you're not a coffee drinker, but you work at Starbucks, I'm not going to be like, how could you make coffees for people? Like, (laughs) it's just like, I, if that's a really, I, I, the, I would say the reactions that are like, 
oh my God, you must be so empowered. Those don't, those don't bother me as deeply because mm-hmm. I know that they come from this like well-meaning place that wants to connect with me and wants to like tap into that feeling of empowerment or support that feeling of empowerment or whatever. It still is problematic in its own way because you don't have to feel empowered to do sex work. Like you don't have to feel empowered by your job to like want to get the fucking paycheck at the end of it. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Can I swear on your podcast? So much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but the, but I do, I am, I am deeply bothered when I get like invasive questions about my sex life or my sexuality or like, like asking to prove my legitimacy as a queer person or something. Mm, mm, Okay. That's an interesting one. That's an interesting one because I send, Hmm. I spend more of my time in hetero or I would say mask or like just rainbow stuff. I'm not, but I'm aware of sometimes the friction between like very like lesbian centric communities where they're like immediately suspicious of like any maleness, which unfortunately can sometimes I think also include like trans mask people, like any masculinity bad, right? Which we know is not the case. People are complex, Right. right? Yeah, that's a it's like a it's almost like you're a traitor. How dare you interact with men in a way that they might benefit in their arousal? And it's like, well, again, I'm working like I'm. it's not for them. And but also like it's it to me, it's very anti-femme and it's very like anti like if this I actually I just did a I just did an episode on my own podcast about like the problem with the concept of the gold star lesbian which Ooh, is define that for those who don't know on the show a few folks sure might. so it, it there's this there's this like concept that if you have never slept with a cis man that you are somehow you you've earned a gold star which is like the cliff notes of that are like um, gender is a journey and mm-hmm. gender is non-binary and also femmes are extremely oppressed in terms of like our ability to like we're, we're conditioned out of setting boundaries. We're conditioned out of like understanding ourselves. I didn't come into a conscious relationship with my queerness until I was 28 years old wow. because I simply because I lived in a patriarchy. Like I lived in a society that assumed that because I was feminine, I was straight. And I just ended up going along with that assumption because I assumed my own self-concept of myself as queer was actually incorrect because everybody else around me just thought I was straight. And so like I slept with a lot of men that I never wanted to sleep with, but I didn't even know how to like answer the call inside myself of like something's wrong here. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I just really feel that we, instead of worrying about gold star lesbians or gold star gays, we really need to, as a queer community, understand and respect each other's oppression mm-hmm. and understand that there are like a lot of femme folks who never had the opportunity to really fully have agency in who they chose as sexual partners. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't even, I mean, like, and some people are bi and some people are intersex. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And like, so like the concept of gold star lesbian is just trash. It is. And it really is. There is this like inside of some queer communities, not, not ones that I choose to participate in, but it is still around sometimes in queer culture, just kind of in the ether. It's just this like replication of heteronormativity this replication of right. gender binary right yeah i was gonna say because that's still a binary if it's like you have to be all this one way uh like gold star lesbian or uh gold star what was the other one you said i thought oh like a gold star gay my, yeah uh, my yeah, friend yeah. who is a trans femme woman she did the episode with me and she she's dealt with a lot of this in her own life because she like past versions of herself she's lived in the world as a cis gay man in in the past Mm. um that's how she was presenting Mm -hmm. and so she she had to deal and she's bi and she had to deal with a lot of like gold star gay bullshit Mm -hmm. in her life and so we we kind of just chatted about those parallels Mm, that's interesting this is a yeah i think most of my listeners will be able to understand all of these layers so that's great uh yeah no totally so what are some identities that you currently align with um I queer feels to me like the most all encompassing um mm-hmm. femme is something that's really become super important to me in my journey as a queer person um 
I, I was just talking to my partner the other day about the fact that like, I'm not, I'm not non-binary. Like I don't, I've never felt that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, but I'm starting to feel less and less like I identify with the term woman because it just feels very, um, fixed in place to me. Not, not, not when anybody else identifies that way, but for me personally, Mm -hmm. them feels much more accurate. Mm. Um, and I, I don't talk about this a lot publicly, but I definitely want to talk about it here on this podcast. Um, I, I identify as like on the asexuality spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess kind of demisexual feels like the, the right place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm in a monogamous relationship, but with polyamorous values and the acknowledgement that like, monogamy might not be what we choose together forever but we're gonna just see what happens (laughs) that's funny that's actually what I'm doing with uh I'm like a serial monogamer that also either the relationship tends to open up at some point or like I've had like a boyfriend for three years and then you know a boyfriend for a year and then I actually haven't had girlfriends uh, in a few years. And I don't know why that is anyway. Uh, yeah, but it's kind of like, I'm really into you right now, but I also know that it's normal for people to be curious and want to have sex with other people. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, okay. So I asked my social media followers on Instagram at stripper writer. Uh, and I talked to some people on Twitter at L Stanger. So I said, when you tell people you are a stripper or a sex worker, what questions do you commonly get? Someone says, I get questions about um, taking pole classes. Mm. (laughs) Someone says, people ask me how many customers are fuckwits or make my day worse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's your worst story? Do you normally choreograph routines or do you dance freestyle? I get asked that too. Okay. I definitely get all these questions too. You're right. I get these questions too. (laughs) Right. Uh, Someone says people will ask me what my first day was like. Mm. Mm -hmm. I still have customers like in in June. So, you know, a couple weeks from now, it'll be 14 years for me. And I still, I know everyone, well, you're getting close to. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah. I'm up there. Yeah. Um, I still get clients that every once in a while, someone will tell me like every few years, they'll be like, Oh, I remember when you were brand new. And I'm like, please don't. Oh my God. Yeah. Please don't. Um, someone says people will ask me for sex advice. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, people will ask me about U.S. laws and potential political changes and impacts to my industry. That's pretty specific. Someone asked me uh, in a workshop the other day if I was concerned about AI taking over my job, and I thought that was interesting. I've never worried about AI taking over my job as a stripper. I, I don't know. I I feel like this whole – I don't know if I have valuable input on this AI debate <laughs> – I that we're that we're going through culturally right now Mm -hmm. um I feel like in general the technology that we develop as a species could always be used for wonderful things I just think that socially as like as a society we've been evolving in a direction that like we don't need to be going like we're so brilliant we're we're so brilliant we're so brilliant as a species and we've been fucking it up for like a long time (laughs) so I feel like AI has the potential to do like some wonderful things that aren't like intrusive or invasive or undercutting creatives Mm -hmm. um but I also you know the sky's the limit in either direction Mm -hmm. like we could go real real the zombie apocalypse with this stuff mm-hmm. or we could go real like utopian paradise like mm-hmm. it's really choose your own adventure and i'm not sure why we keep kind of choosing the mm-hmm. highway to hell thing it's right every time i hear someone be like oh there, there might be other planets out there we could and i'm like no no there's one right here and we're fucking yeah. it up why would you and try it's, like, it's a cool planet like we are on like this is a pretty cool planet there's water here and like plants and frogs and poodles and stuff Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh my gosh yeah i get that too um okay someone says people will ask me if i make a lot of money 
Mm, well, not yeah, last night. People do ask me. About, yeah, I know, right? Oh, I am. <laughs> what do you What do you respond to that? What do you say? Um, I people will ask me, like the other day, somebody asked me, "What's the most I've ever made in a night?" But <laughs> she's somebody who I love and know has considered dancing before. Mm. But she asked me in front of a couple of like dudes who we're also friends with, and like it was a weird thing because I. I just wanted to answer her honestly because mm-hmm. I want her to have all the information that she might want. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did feel a little funny answering in front of people who I know are not interested in sex work mm-hmm. uh, for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that I'm personally, I'm not that precious or shy about like money conversations at all, but I definitely don't want to perpetuate the idea that like, we all make a bunch of money. We're all rolling in it. Right, yeah. Right. Especially after, like, honestly, like, I, this past three years, ever since lockdown, mm-hmm. like, I I was very fortunate to, like, my, the first, the first six years of my stripper career were sunshine and roses. It was great. I was making, you know, mm-hmm. amazing money for me personally. And, mm-hmm. but the past three years have been rough and I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. And I, like. I definitely, I think that if we're going to have the money conversations or if people feel like comfortable answering those questions or whatever, that it's also important to kind of like try and educate the people around us or educate the general public that like, there's, there's a lot of misconceptions around what this, what this all looks like Mm -hmm. financially. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's fast money. It can be fast money, but it's not, it's not always consistent money yeah it can be very insecure money right so Mm -hmm. it's like that saying from the dancers resource it's like it only takes one and it's like yeah but Mm -hmm. if you don't get that one you if you don't get that one, it's a it's a 30 dollar night after tip out so yeah (laughs) yeah right okay Mm -hmm. so we are speaking with lila feinstein she is the host of a stripper's guide uh, dot com this is the stripping and sexuality episode i'm your host l stanger let's take a break Hey, do you want to open your relationship? Whether you're totally ready or 100% terrified, I've got something for you. Best-selling author, New York Times, and NPR contributor Dr. Jolie Hamilton is the expert who helps people open their relationships up without burning things down. Now you can leverage her five pillars of open relationships to open yours the smart way. Dr. Jolie shares the five pillars during her upcoming online salon. Grab your spot at openeasier.com. It's free when you register now at openeasier.com. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. This is the stripping and sexuality episode. Please rate or review this podcast if you're listening on Spotify or Apple. It helps your host out immensely. It helps our guests as well so people can find us and interact with us, buy our stuff, spread the word. We are speaking with Lila Feinstein all the way over on the East Coast. You might be listening anywhere in the world. We have a lot of Australian and UK listeners, which I thought is pretty interesting. Shout out. All right, Lila, let's do listener questions. All right. uh, Listener question one. Okay. So what do you think are some differences for you between feeling ashamed of the work versus seeking privacy around the work or around your kinks or orientations or preferences. So what's the differences between being ashamed and not wanting to talk about identity or work or seeking privacy around it for you? Whoever asked this, you are a babe after my own heart. I'm so pleased with this question. Um, I, it's so important. And um, it's something that whenever I teach erotic dance, uh, this is like the main focus of like why I teach erotic dance mm. uh, when I teach at like dance studios, pole studios, online classes, whatever. It's so that we can start to sift through what is shame and what is the desire for privacy because it's we all deserve to like be able to make those distinctions for ourselves. And when we can make those distinctions for ourselves, 
we can act in alignment with our needs better because sometimes we don't even know the difference if we're not looking at it um especially because we we're we all of us are living in this culture that is so shame heavy and like really there's a lot of confusion i think culturally around sex sexuality and sex work um and gender and all these things and like when we when we're embodying like more than one of these things at once, it can get really confusing. Mm -hmm. And I think that only we can answer these questions for ourselves, but I think it's really important to find a process of self-investigation of some sort. And I think a lot of the times, at least like for me, it's really helpful to be able to this is where media comes in for me, like being able to see ourselves reflected accurately back to ourselves um, in some capacity, whether it's through like movies or podcasts or the internet or whatever, being able to see people like us mm. who are mm-hmm. feeling empowered in their lives and able to make these distinctions for themselves. I think it's so important. It can be so helpful in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, I think it's more complicated than just like, you should know the answer. Like a lot of us really have to search for those answers, but I think that deliberately searching for the answers can be um, a very enlightening process and can help you get ultimately better in tune with your own intuition Um, Mm -hmm. like for example, for me, like I, I really went through some, I was never ashamed to be a stripper. I always knew it was something that I was on. It was like a back burner idea, but it's also something that like aesthetically I was very drawn to. Like Mm -hmm. I'm high femme. Like I want to go to work with like big hair and nails and makeup and heels. Yes. (laughs) All of it. Like that is, that was like when I was growing up. I was always drawn to the stripper in the movie or the slut in the movie or the bad girl in the movie. Like I was like, that is, Mm -hmm. I want that. I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I want that. But also that, so I'm also, I'm autistic and I'm like one of the ways that I really learned to like be like in touch with my own personality was through film and media and like that is something that I realize is like common for a lot of autistic folks is to like and books like see see myself reflected back to me in different characters and recognize that like start to start to pull the pieces from different characters that like I felt were authentic to me Mm. and relying on this uh relying on media as kind of a mirror for myself to Mm. learn how to be who I want to be um and it's still something I do and still something that like like I still like I like I say my love language is movies like I cannot stop talking about movies to my partner like we've been together for two and a half years and (laughs) still every single day like I start some bid for intimacy with a conversation around like hey did you ever see this like random 80s movies about blah 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 like because (laughs) this is just like how I like think I think in movies right um And so something that for me was really um, poignant, I think throughout my life before I became a sex worker was I was, I was drawn towards the, the sort of like slutty girl Mm -hmm. in, in media. Um, But also that is not usually the character who Mm. good things happen to. Mm -hmm. And like that character is usually steeped in shame. Mm -hmm. Like, there's kind of just like a, like, if you think of like any, any archetypal, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I, like, I want to be Pam Anderson. Like when I was little, like, I want to be Pam Anderson when I grow up, but she's somebody who, you know, was kind of a cultural joke in some ways, especially in feminist circles. Like I, I definitely came up in like a, quote unquote, like liberal, quote unquote, feminist household, but it was also a household that was like, 
very anti-sex worker. Mm-hmm. And Which is very common, we know now. Totally, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And in our culture, really, you you get to be the good girl or the bad girl. Mm-hmm. And those are gender expansive terms, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I always... I I always wanted to be the bad girl, but then I also got reinforced by the adults around me. And then as I got older by the boys and men around me and, and by the femmes around me too, I got like reinforced with this idea that like, I am inherently bad Mm -hmm. because I do what I want. I say what I think I, so it's interesting because like being a stripper is never something I was afraid to do. Like, it's never something that I was like, Oh my God, like, my whole world is going to crumble if people find out. Mm-hmm. It was something that I actually like, I didn't choose to do it till I was 25, but I had thought about it for many years before then. Mm-hmm. And um, when I, when I started dancing, it was, it was really the grappling with other people's expectations that I um, feel directly and sexually empowered by my work. Because I'm this, like, I do what I want kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found over the years as I as I was really able to feel into the the subtleties of things, and this is, I, I swear this is related to the question. Like, what I found was I'm not ashamed to be a sex worker, but I'm also not interested in talking about my personal sex life or sexuality with anybody who's not my partner Mm. and I came up against and still do like I mentioned earlier like a common question that I get in my circles because I am I tend to be in these circles um where like feminism is super prevalent and and celebrated and I I tend to get these questions that I find very invasive around my personal sexuality and sex life. And when I first started dancing, I didn't really know how to put up those boundaries because I didn't know that I was allowed to, Mm. because I thought that like, well, I'm not ashamed of being a stripper. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not down to talk about sex with any, like Mm -hmm. anybody who asks, like, doesn't that mean that I'm kind of perpetuating like shame around sexuality and da da da. And like, no, it doesn't. Mm. I, I'm very fortunate. I have a wonderful best friend who is just like the most like cool, calm, collected, mystery, Scorpio, amazing <laughs> person I've ever met. Um, and so she's got like, she's got, she's a few years older than me. And so she will forever be like the big sister that I'm like running after with like a lollipop in my hair, Aww. but like, and she's just like an absolute queen. Um, and she's Muslim and a big part of uh, her journey over the past, um, you know, 15 years or whatever mm-hmm. has been um, deciding like when to veil, how much to veil, like what her relationship is with that. And, but also like separately from being Muslim, like she's just a really private person mm-hmm. and has taught me so much about like, it being okay to assert my right to privacy Mm -hmm. and that that in and of itself can be an empowering feminist practice. Mm -hmm. And she has really allowed me to, um, she's really helped me to kind of examine the limitations of white feminism in that aspect. Mm -hmm. And this idea that like, I, I'm I'm writing a book right now and, and I talk a lot about like the idea that sex workers in society kind of have three prescribed roles that we are expected to fulfill um, or like three prescribed roles that will be acknowledged. And one is like the fallen mm. woman, mm-hmm. you know, the victim. Um, right. Mm-hmm. The right. Exactly. The victim, the villain. Yes or the like loud proud slut Mm. and I am none of those things Mm -hmm. I am not ashamed of what I do for work but what I do for work is what I do for work like it's what I do for I feel financially empowered by my choices but I don't feel sexually empowered by them I feel sexually neutral about them because I'm not having a sexual experience at work Mm. ever Mm -hmm. and that's not because I'm queer Mm -hmm. it's just because it's not what I'm into. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just not, I'm not sexually attracted to my customers. Like 
-hmm. It's just not a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so being able to really ask, like being able to really look inside myself and separate what is, what is shame and what is a desire for privacy has allowed me to make better choices for myself and choices that make me feel safer, which is like, you know, I, I don't want to talk about my sex life, not even with my closest friends. It's just not something I'm interested in. And it's not because I'm ashamed. It's because like, I feel empowered by the fact that I can make the choice to keep that conversation where it feels right for me. Mm-hmm. So I want to give an example also, and I want to hear what you think. So I am a very uh, unashamed also about the work person but I'm also a very Mm -hmm. private person. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have many people to my home and I don't like people knowing what I drive, where I live, my child's real name. And it's not because I'm ashamed. When I ask myself, why is it I don't want customers or followers to know where I live? Because it could endanger me. So this is a practical application of my boundaries. It's not related to shame at all. Totally. Mm-hmm. Same. This is actually, you know, I, I went through this really, um, <laughs> really interesting journey with like, once I realized that about myself, like, oh my God, I'm entitled to privacy. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of went like extreme with it, but it was really, I feel like that's true. Like whenever you start putting boundaries in place, like you can kind of go, it's just, I feel like it's healing for a lot of folks to go Hogwild. as far as they can. Right. <laughs> exactly. I didn't put my last name on the internet until like three months ago. Nobody knew my name was Lila Feinstein. I have friends that I've had for years who like, they'll be like, oh my God, what is your last name? Actually, my newsletter still arrives from Nunya Lane. That's I'll still the address. Wow. <laughs> wow. Maybe we are related uh, by the stars. <laughs> Um, okay. So this transitions nicely into listener question too. Do you, Lila, have any tips on how to set boundaries or politely shut someone down on something you don't want to discuss? Um, working on the politely, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Is it the Virgo or is it the tism? You know, it's the I think it might be the tism and it also might be the fact that I, um, I am a Virgo, but I also am a Sag moon with a Sag stellium. So I can be very blunt and I'm still I truly am like it is the autism is the part where like I don't I truly don't know sometimes when I'm being so blunt that Mm -hmm. it is going to come off to most people as rude and I'm really lucky that I have um I have some really sweet soft people in my life who (laughs) often help me when I don't know how to craft an answer, you know, if it's a written question, if I'm answering in an email or on social media or whatever, then I have the chance to actually ask the folks around me who I know have like a better, um, who are more like tactful Mm -hmm. (laughs) than I am. Mm -hmm. Um, and in, in conversation, I feel like the places where I've gotten good at shutting things down are places where I can, reflect when I can tell the the person asking has good intentions like if if I if I just think they're being invasive or annoying then I'm just gonna be blunt with them Mm -hmm. so maybe I'm not the best person to ask no I agree because if it's someone where it's like this isn't gonna go anywhere and I already don't like or trust you then I'll say something like oh no thank you that's not something I want to talk about you know but if it's like right but if I still want to invest in this person and I feel like they're coming from a better place then I'll be like, well, how about we talk about this instead? Because I don't know you that well yet, you know? Yeah. Redirect. Yeah. Redirect. Yeah. And when I get questions that are about like, oh, like, how do you do, how do you do your job? Like, aren't you, don't you like feel so gross, like letting all those men touch you or whatever? Like, then I think there's an opportunity to ask the, to respond with a question. Mm. Like, you know, um, well, does your job make you feel like that? You know, Mm -hmm. like just kind of like to bring it back into the realm of when the, whatever the question is, I think oftentimes when it comes to sex work, the person asking the question, 
their question often reveals Mm. their own inability to separate the concept of sex work from work and have it be more of like to them a lot of the time I like when we get invasive questions I think that the the asker is thinking about sex work as sex Mm -hmm. and if we can bring the conversation more into the realm of work then we can start to kind of like look at the logic of what they're asking or like you know I don't know I saw a meme or something the other day that was like uh a a great response to a question you don't want to answer is I'm surprised you feel comfortable asking somebody (laughs) oh my god oh my god that would be my go-to if someone points to all my tattoos and they're like how much did all of that cost and I'm like oh Oh my god yeah right that's a rude fucking question get that a lot okay that's a good one okay so so on tips so it is okay to politely shut people down working on politely for some of us yeah and that could be something like just practice I practice saying stuff in front of a mirror I look at the way my face is moving I make adjustments Mm. I replicate you know Anthony Hopkins is autistic apparently and he's a great actor so I'm oh good to know right sourcing inspiration um redirecting exploring and then the the reflective question, like, why? Oh, why do you think so? Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to make them scared of you, then just act like Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Hello, Clarice. <laughs> Closer. I feel like I have, like, I do definitely have a Hannibal Lecter streak in me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So this one, somebody asked this and I loved it. And I'm going to give my quick example after the question uh, to help people understand what it means. Listener question three, do you, Lila, ever feel any limitations on how you can be in relationship with people as a you know public figure or an entertainer? And my example, me, L, is I, for the first four three, four, the five years, whatever, that I was with my daughter's father, uh, my second ex-husband, when we went out, because Portland is a city, but it's a small city, it's very industry heavy. Mm -hmm. When we went out, like I told him beforehand, I was like, I'm not going to hold your hand. Please don't put your arm around me. Like I, we're friends, like we're out, but I'm going to see customers. And if they see you, Mm -hmm. it's going to wreck the image in their mind. And he was really cool about that. But it was, I mean, at first it was hard on him eventually. And I also, when I have partners, they have to understand that like my image can impact my income. So I have to kind of look available. I'll talk about, you know, fucking my boyfriend when it relates to porn or something cutesy. But I know that I scare customers away. So a lot of times Mm -hmm. I don't want to post pictures being romantic or sexual unless I'm with a femme or a woman, unfortunately, because I know Mm -hmm. that that still will give straight horny men the little like, tingle they need to seek out my materials without being turned off by another man unless they're into cucking in which case hit me up on my sexting app but (laughs) so what do you think yeah. yeah do you feel any limitations um you know I I that makes so much sense and I'm sure so many people can relate to what you just said um I don't feel like that is that specific thing is like a major concern for me personally but I'm sure there's so many people who have to like you know watch what they post watch where they go that kind of thing I definitely um what what has come up for me lately is now that a stripper's guide has started to gain some traction Mm -hmm. uh new dancers that work or even dancers who I've worked with who I never talked to before are starting to recognize me from the internet. Mm -hmm. And I am wary and kind of worried that eventually a stripper's guide is going to get seen by management. Mm. Um, And so I feel like because (laughs) a stripper's guide is all about like, I mean, one of the things that I talk about constantly is how strip club management is bullshit and the whole industry needs to be torn down and like sex work needs to be decriminalized so that we can run our own shit and not have these middlemen in our fucking pockets. Mm -hmm. And so like, I don't have much kind words to say about strip club management, about strip club hosts, about the patriarchy and strip club culture in general, about like the way that like, you know, I talk I talk very openly and very often about Mm -hmm. racism, about like, Mm -hmm. you know, the illegal practices inside the industry that I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my God, all of it. Mm -hmm. And like, and so I, I, I've been fired for less. Mm -hmm. I've been fired because I wrote, I, I wrote a song like in 2000, 
18 that was like about being an empowered stripper and um the management at my strip club like they they fired me for my political views but when that song came out i i had lost a chance to actually ever come back to that wow. for a strip club. like so <laughs> um yeah okay. um, so that makes so sense it, yeah as a limitation potentially yeah. it's like how big can you like grow yeah it's limiting my I feel like it's limiting my ability to like be really open with my coworkers yes. about like what I'm doing yes. which sucks because like yes. it's you know I want to I want to be able to extend the platform to them and extend the resources and information there to them but I'm you don't always know your coworkers super well and you never, and people are drinking, people are talking, you don't know who's close with management. So mm-hmm. that, that stinks. Mm-hmm. But I will say, I love my house mom and she just came to my band's show this weekend and I totally trust her and think she's awesome and I know she's not going to blow up my spot. Yay. What's your band <laughs> called? Uh, well, it's, it's we just go under Lila Feinstein because it's my music, but I have, oh, nice. I kind of like have like a rotating cast in my band. Nice. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I actually, um, I am very, uh, I experience a lot of trepidation and, uh, oh God, suspicion is the word that comes to mind because now, Mm. now that like my, my brand has, you know, been around and I do get recognized. I get recognized by auditions, get recognized Mm. by, you know, traveling dancers coming through. I get recognized by other strippers from other clubs doing events. And it's like, yes, you have all the right reasons to be concerned because you, you just don't know people's motivations at all. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jack the Stripper talked about how she became too big to to yeah. be booked, actually. So I don't know how we'll navigate that, but yeah. best wishes to us. Yeah. Uh, listener question four. Would you, Lila, share any shared routines, practices, rituals, anything that you or your lover, partner, spouse engage in? This person says, I'm building a list of tools for us to bond in non-sexual ways. Luckily, I actually wrote this one in bullet notes, so I'll go really fast through that. Yes! Um, we, uh, aftercare, after I work, is really important to me. Um, now that I've started meeting clients outside of work, so now that I'm meeting up with clients for dates and stuff, it's really important to me and my partner both that we can have our own, like, real date mm-hmm. after that, whether it's, like, that day or the next day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um Sometimes my partner does money spells for me. Like they'll, they'll do like money spell on my panties that I wear to work that night. Mm. And I swear their money spells are like, they bring in the bucks like faster than mine. So, (laughs) um, I also have like therapy, LOL on this list. Like that's, I would definitely call that a, a practice that, um, is, is helping us, you know, continue to build intimacy and understanding around my work. And also, I just want to mention for listeners that I have and I have a playlist of episodes from my own podcast that are actually for sex workers and their partners. Um, and so I can share that with Please. you, Elle, yeah. if you want to put that in the, yeah. yeah, for sure. That might just help spark some conversations around these things or, or whatever. But I, I'm so glad that somebody asked this question. It's so mm-hmm. important. Great. Yeah, we'll include uh, those episodes in the in the episode notes for this one. Yeah, I said to boyfriend the other day, because uh, I only see him once a week. He lives two hours away. So, like, I don't get enough cuddles and conversation and mm. sex and, you know, foot rubs and stuff. And I cry every time he leaves because I know I'm like, I spend so much time sitting on people and men. My clientele is like 70% men, I would say. Um and and hugging them and breathing with them and grinding and you know touching and whispering and I'm like that is well and good and fine but I need to recharge in a way that is purely recreational and if I don't recharge enough then oof the battery's low yes yeah right and that makes me think about uh people who are working who you know no matter what they're doing construction in a kitchen a stripper whatever when they don't have a supportive partner or friend or like tools for their body and their mind it's just it's hard people really really wear themselves into the ground when they don't have support yeah 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 right so that's why we do this podcast so people have more info and resources and maybe build some community we're going to take another break this is lila feinstein from a stripper's guide your host that's me i have a patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows it's uh nipples and bush and me around the house and more poodle uh, oh, yeah. And behind the scenes strip club stuff. So go there if you want to see what I'm doing uh, when I'm not on all my other social media. 
And this is They Talk Sex Podcast. We will be right back. You know, I've never met anyone who likes sleeping in the wet spot. I'm sure they're out there somewhere, but for everybody else, there's getthelayer.com. Personally, it's great for me because I make a mess with either period stains or squirting or other activities. It's great for travel, great for sex workers and webcammers, definitely. Great for folks with disability or when you just don't want to leave a wet spot. Use code L for 10% off and a portion of proceeds is donated to the Trevor Project and to Distributing Dignity. That's getthelayer.com. Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. This is the stripping and sexuality episode. Your guest, Lila Feinstein, is here with us to... Let's talk about being touched out. Let's talk about some more touch psychology. Uh, I have, so I have an article here. It's interesting. When I went to Google um, touched out uh, plus hospitality industry, um, I did not find enough, but I found a couple pieces of writing, and this is a really good example. So this is from Slate. It was published last year, written by Amanda Monte or Monte. How American Moms Got Touched Out. So this is about moms, but I'm going to read a little bit, and I want you to relate this to customers. Mm -hmm. So, uh, okay, this woman who posts on Instagram at a mother place is her handle, describes the intense fleshiness of parenting. She says, my baby's small hands clawing at me, his legs kicking me as he writhed in pain and frustration from the wind stuck in his tummy. When I put him down, he screamed. His cries were so piercing at times, and the sound went straight through me and really hit a nerve. I had no choice but to pick him up again. Uh, And another person in a popular TikTok video says that motherhood has transformed her from a hugger who loved physical touch to someone who pushes her husband away. She says, all day my body belongs to another human being, and at the end of the day, I am done being touched. What does this bring up for you, if anything? Yeah, it it was such a great article and first and foremost what it brought up for me was oh my god I never thought about that in terms of like when when I'm a parent (laughs) like what's that gonna be like Um, it's real (laughs) yeah yeah I must Um, say I I don't understand but I kind of understand how it gets to the point where people kill their children hit their children neglect their children because they're frustrated and they can't cope and it doesn't make it okay but I I think that's how that happens yeah no that makes sense yeah um I, what it, what it brought up for me personally around dancing is, um, I, when I get home from work, that has traditionally been my time to myself. It's like a very sacred kind of witching hour for me because I'm still wired from being at the club, but I'm also like so relieved to be home. Mm -hmm. And like, once I'm finally through the whole routine of like, getting my makeup off, getting showered, and I finally just get in bed, like, traditionally, that's the time when I used to, like, stay up for another hour or two and, like, write poems or write songs or work on something, and, Mm -hmm. um, and in the relationship that I'm in now, it's a time that, like, my partner really wants to be touched, like, really wants cuddles, like, really Mm -hmm. want, like, even, even though they're sleeping, Mm -hmm. like, it, it, like, they feel, kind of neglected if I'm coming home and like ignoring them Mm -hmm. in the bed next to Mm -hmm. me, which is understandable. Mm -hmm. And, um, autistically something that I resisted right away. As soon as we moved in together, I was like, no, like I want to be by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been a really interesting place to navigate. And, um, I still do need that, that like personal space when I get home from work, but it's also been, it's been interesting to like negotiate it with myself. Like, okay, like it is nice to come home and like hug my partner. And if they, if they wait up for me, you know, if they stayed up all this time to see me, like it's nice to see them and have that moment with them. And so now these days, like I'll come and I'll cuddle them and still, if I'm, it usually takes me a long time to fall asleep. So like I'll cuddle them for a while till they fall asleep. And then I'm like, okay, like if I'm still up and my brain's still active, then I'll take my time 
for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is really important to me. Mm-hmm. Like after my, after my shift at work, and if not, then I'll do it the next morning. Mm-hmm. But, um, but like after, after my shift at work, like I, I really am not like, I don't, I don't need to be touched. I don't want to be touched. But conversely to that, I've also historically not really been a toucher, a hugger at all. Like I don't mm. hug my friends. It's just not really mm-hmm. like, you know, some of them, if they want, they, they do like a hug. Hello. Like I'll do that, but I'm not, not very touchy at all. Mm-hmm. And except for if I have like my one special person. So mm-hmm. my partners, I've always been very huggy, cuddly with and, uh, and my cats. That's also really an important source of touch to me. And it can feel to me personally, like, um, like what you were saying before the break, needing your own, like, personal life touching that isn't about your job and isn't you doing an act of service, mm-hmm. like you doing a service job for somebody like the touching that I get at work is not fulfilling to me in any way. It's, it's fine. Like I definitely get touched out by my customers. Like my customers are too touchy, like mm-hmm. for my taste. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just like, no, mm-hmm. like it's that's no fun for me. Like I can, you know, grit my teeth and bear it, but it's not mm-hmm. it's like it's nothing that makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. I just feel like mm-hmm. annoyed by it. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> yeah. but like being able to fill my cup back up and have a very cuddly relationship with my partner at home and have these little squishy soft babies that I can snuggle like is awesome for me personally Mm -hmm. but I definitely see how that could manifest differently for lots of folks depending on who they are and Mm -hmm. what they need Mm -hmm. I've heard uh hospital workers say this Mm -hmm. like they get touched out uh I mean also they're literally like sometimes lifting and like adjusting other people's bodies all day yeah uh I I remember I was uh, with a previous partner and he had he was very much a night owl. So he would be up all night. And I was like, well, I have a child, so I have to be asleep by like 3.30 or 4 uh, Mm a.m. in order to do what I need to do the next day. But I I remember so I would come to home to our shared living space and he'd have like music on, the lights on, like might be cooking something. And I'd be walking around like turning shit down and turning the lights down. I'm like. I was in a loud, screamy, flashy place for six or seven oh, yeah. hours. Like, I cannot. <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. I definitely get, like, my brain is, like, wiped out by the end of this. Like, yeah, mm. it would definitely make me angry if there was another person awake and doing shit in my house when I came <laughs> home. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'm the only one who's allowed to be awake and doing shit. I need silence. Right. Silence. Yeah. Uh, so this one, I, I wrote this question because I actually don't even know for myself, but I'm, I'm curious what to see to see what you would say. So not what are you going to do after this? But if stripping did not exist, what do you think you would be doing right now? Oh, man, if stripping didn't exist, I'd probably be a webcam model. But I- <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But if I if I didn't if I didn't have to rely on sex work for my income, like if I could have it my way, I would just be doing everything I'm already doing, but making enough to support myself Mm -hmm. with my writing, Mm -hmm. with my, like I have a, I'm working on a documentary right now. Wow. Which I'm. And a book. So that's actually, yeah, it's actually, it's interesting. Like this is actually my goal for this summer is I'm taking the summer off my podcast so that I can search for funding for the things because I, I mean, I'm tired. I don't want to keep dancing. Like, I'm like, I gotta go to bed. Like, I gotta have kids and go to bed. So yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> yeah. So, um, that's the that's the that makes sense. That is kind of what I'm working on now. Yeah. Is like trying to get trying to get funding for everything else so that I don't have to keep relying on tripping. Okay. Good. I hope that goes well for you. And uh, Thank you. yeah, the lifespan of professional athletes is shorter than some people realize. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay. So, what books or resources or websites besides your own would you recommend for people who want to learn more about these topics? Um, I thought long and hard about this one, and I think that like the best, the best thing that I can recommend in terms of like in line with this topic is books and resources that help you conceive of sex workers in a non-monolithic way. Um, So like rather than speaking to like a specific aspect of being a sex worker, I recommend 
resources that point to like the complex and nuanced and um, highly differentiated experiences that people can have in sex work, because I think that will help, that helps folks see themselves, if they are sex workers, see themselves in a more complex and nuanced light. And also for people who are not sex workers trying to come learn more about our community, um, I think it's always best to approach it that way. So I definitely recommend the book Revolting Prostitutes by Molly Smith and Juno Mack. That is a kind of like sweeping portrait of um, the current state of the fight for sex workers' rights in um, across the world mm-hmm. and um, the sort of different challenges that are posed to our community by the systems in place. And it's very much my goal in A Stripper's Guide to spark conversations that are not only about individual experiences, but about individual experiences placed within the context of these systems mm-hmm. that of these systems of oppression mm-hmm. um, that we all have to contend with. Um, the book Whore of New York by Liera Rue. Um, it's a personal story, but I think it's a really wonderful. Um, they Liera Rue is uh, an autistic escort and their memoir is uh, a portrait of somebody who is very complex and nuanced. And I think even though it's a personal story, it it is a mind opening one. Um, also Bad Fat Black Girl by Cecily Bowen, uh, who has done sex work as part of her life and reality. And that is a small slice of that book, but I think um, really relevant to her frameworks for kind of looking at feminism and conversations around femininity and sex work. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I guess that's my, that's my short. Book. I like that's, those are three great things. I'm sure I'm not familiar with the last two. I, uh, Liara Rue, I think I follow her, them on Twitter, her, them, them, yeah, them. them. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with thriving in sex work by Lola Davina? I really like that one. Okay, I have it, but I have never read it. I've had it on my shelf for years. I gotta read it. it. That one's a really easy one, I think, where you just open it to any page and like the sections are short and I think they're very concise. So do recommend. Okay, uh, we'll do. We'll do. Um, I know it's a long list of things you're doing. Uh, so lastly, Lila, I ask every guest this. Do you have any sex tips for our audience? I think... If there's anywhere in your relationship to sex or sexuality that feels uncomfortable or stuck to ask yourself, you know, journal about it, reflect on it, meditate on it, ask yourself some investigative questions about what it feels like, why you might be feeling that way. And if it still feels stuck, then to maybe talk about it with a sex positive therapist or uh, mm-hmm. a friend that you really trust in that department. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, listen to podcasts about it, go search on YouTube about it. And if there's stuff in your sexuality or sex life that feels awesome, I encourage you to like do more of that, tap into that. Um, and coming back to the original, like a listener's question about separating shame from privacy to figure out if there's any feelings because we live in a culture that like shames sex and shames um, so many different types of sexualities and shames so many different genders and shames sex workers, like to maybe do a, do a scan around shame and figure out if there is shame anywhere in your relationship to sex or sexuality. Mm, Thank you so much. So everybody go check out Lila on a strippersguide.com if you haven't already. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's so great to be here. Good. I'm curious to see where our journeys go and we'll be in touch online, I'm sure. <laughs> I'll see you doing Definitely. All right, everybody. Uh, find us uh, theytalksex.com if you want to check out some recommended products. Uh, Twitter at lstanger. Find me on Instagram at stripperwriter. And my website is lstanger.com. Until next time.